Today we will go ahead and begin a study in the book of Colossians. You will find it in the New Testament right after the book of Philippians, which we finished up last week. Colossians chapter 1. So if everyone's there, we will go ahead and jump right on into it. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So this letter starts out in the very usual way for letters that were written during that time period. Today in our modern age, if anyone writes a letter at all, we close our letters by giving the author's name. But in that day, it was common to start the letter with the author's name. And we also see here in verse 1 that Paul again makes it clear that his calling is from God. He was not handpicked by any man, nor was he sent out by any man or religion. He preached the gospel because he was called directly by God to do so. And the facts surrounding the calling of Paul can be clearly seen if you go back and you read Acts chapter 9. But Paul writes this letter here on behalf of himself and his companion in the gospel, Timothy. And then verse 2 tells us who he wrote this letter to. It says, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Now, the city of Colossae does not exist today. It was an ancient city destroyed by earthquakes. And a new city exists today there called Honaz, Turkey. Now, Honaz, Turkey is known today for its cherry trees. They produce about $35 million worth of cherries annually. But during Paul's day, it was not a major city. Colossae was not a major city at all. It had very little importance at that time. But there were faithful believers in Jesus Christ there. And Paul wrote these believers in this city. And as we go on in the letter, we will get more detail as to why he wrote them. And of course, we know that it is the Holy Spirit that uses the Word of God today, the living, active Word of God. He uses this letter today to speak to us as well. Now, Paul was not the one responsible for bringing these people to the gospel in the first place. We'll see that as we go along. But verse 2 here continues and says, But grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, if you remember, we talked about those two words, grace and peace. At the beginning of our study through the book of Philippians. So I'm not going to expound too much on that again, but the word grace there means that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, and loveliness. So I'll say that again. Grace means that which affords joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness. And the word peace there in the original Greek means tranquility, harmony, felicity. So all of these, of course, are, as I've mentioned before, internal things. Okay, 
the things that God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ desire for us to have are things that are internal. They benefit us from within. Scripture constantly directs us back to this place. Remember, man looks on the outward, but God is looking on our hearts, okay? And for us, oftentimes, it's all about the external. But for God, it's about the internal. You know, there are all kinds of false doctrines out there today that have made the gospel, God's word, all about external things, temporal things like health and wealth, for example. But Jesus said in in Luke chapter 12 that one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That is really a good scripture to meditate on. One's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. But yet, what do we spend so much of our time thinking about and worrying about? Our possessions, what we have, how we're going to be taken care of, all of this, right? Jesus said these things the Gentiles seek after. But he said, don't worry about these things because the Heavenly Father knows our needs, right? You know, as a matter of fact, let's find that scripture. It's in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Um, I want to take you to the scripture that I quoted to you just a, a minute ago there, where I said, one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. That's in Luke chapter 12. And if you look down at verse 15, so Luke 12, 15, it says, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So what is Jesus warning us about here? Covetousness, right? That desire to have, that desire to get more and more and more, okay? And, and that's really what this world will direct you toward, won't it? The more you have, the better off you are. You can take your ease. You can rest someday if you if you just go after this and you go after that and you, you gather up and, you know, and, and that seems to be what it's all about in this world, doesn't it? But then verse 16 there continues. Then he spoke to them a parable saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all of my crops and my goods. Kind of sounds like our society today with our self-storage places, right? Verse 19, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So as we talked about last week, it's so easy to get caught up in the things of this temporary life and place so much importance on them. Because in the fleshly carnal sense, right? It's all we really know, isn't it? But, on the other hand, 
We are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And as we study through God's Word, and as we continue to walk by faith, we come to understand that there's so much more to this life. And as we also discussed last week, we are citizens of heaven. We are just passing through this world. And Jesus said that it's not about what you have here on this earth. It's not about our possessions. But what we need to be instead is rich towards God. And he gave that parable of that man that spent so much time focusing on all the things of this world. Buying and selling and having more possessions and having more to his name, so to speak. But the day came when his soul was required of him. And he had spent so much time focusing on the things of this world and he was never rich toward the things of God, the things that really matter. And flipping back to Colossians chapter 1, again, Paul starts this letter by saying grace and peace to you. And again, like I mentioned, that's the kind of internal things that we need to seek after with our limited time that we have here on this earth. Things like tranquility, harmony, right? Peace. But we don't find these things when we allow the cares of this life to consume us, do we? We tend to have to hold on tightly to the things that we possess. And when storms rise or things happen in life that, that tend to shake our foundation, we begin to freak out. Then in verse 3 here, it says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints... So here again, we see two very internal things being spoken of, faith and love. Faith in Jesus and love toward other believers. You see, we are the body of Christ. If you have been born again, then these are the things that you are to be known for. Paul says, I'm praying for you, right? You're in a good place. Walking by faith in Jesus and loving one another, he's telling them, hey, you're on the right track. And why were the Colossians on the right track? Well, verse 5 says, Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So why could they live the way they were living? Why could they live in faith and, and in love? Why could they have grace and peace in their hearts? Why could they have all of this? Because they knew that there's something far better laid up for them in heaven. And it says, of which you heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. How do we know these things? How do we know that there's something laid up for heaven, in, in heaven for us? How do we know the things that God wants us to have? Well, we know it from the, the word of truth, the gospel. So why do I take you through the Bible like this Sunday after Sunday? It's because I know that it's only in God's Word where we find out these truths, where we find out that we have this hope, 
and that we can live with a, a life of grace and peace and tranquility, right? And my hope is that you and, and myself as well, as we study this together, that we will grow in our faith and we will learn more and more to walk trusting in the Lord with each and every step we take through this life. So hope has come to us through the gospel. And the Apostle Paul told that to the Colossians here in this letter, speaking of the truth of the gospel, he says in verse 6 there, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. So the gospel, right, when one receives the gospel, something happens. They begin to bring forth fruit in their lives. Through the truth of the gospel, people, first of all, come to know the grace of God, right? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That whomsoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. Why did Jesus come? To give us the hope of eternity, right? Why did we need that? Why did we need him to come? Because of sin. Sin separated us from our heavenly Father. And we, we had no grace. We had no peace. We had no hope without Jesus. And if not for the gospel, we have no relationship with God the, the Father, our Creator. We are without hope and we'd be perishing. But God became flesh, John chapter 1 tells us. God became a man, the form of Jesus Christ. He put on humanity. He became one of us. He was tempted in all ways like as we are. But he conquered sin and death by going to the cross. And today, when a person hears the gospel and they repent of their sin, at that point they come back into fellowship with God the Father. And they then have hope, the hope of eternity with their Creator. And they, they then have the Holy Spirit living within them who gives them the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Things like joy and peace, right? Kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And all things become new for that person because they receive the gospel because they repented of their sin, which means they simply turn away from their sin-led life, right? And sin simply means you're missing the mark, you're falling short. And the Bible tells us in Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I can't sit here and talk about sin without first realizing that I have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? But then there becomes this new life that comes in you when you turn your life to Jesus Christ and you are born again of the Spirit. So the Colossians heard the gospel truth. Someone brought them that message. And verse 7 tells us who that someone was. It says, As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ, on your behalf. So this guy Epaphras was the one that brought the good news to the Colossians. 
And he continued to minister to them after doing so. And Paul called Epaphras a, a faithful minister. You know, I stand before you Sunday after Sunday, and I bring the, the teachings of the Bible to you, the teachings of the gospel. But you know, you too can be an Epaphras to someone else. You can tell someone else the good news of the truth of the gospel. Because remember, well, if you study the scriptures, you find out that there is no other way to salvation. A person either hears the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and they repent and they turn to the Lord, or they perish. You know, being a good person, being a member of a church, none of this is the way to salvation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way. That's according to the Holy Bible. Now, I know at this point, many people hear this kind of thing and they say, Ah, you're so narrow-minded. And you know, I fully admit that I am. But according to Jesus himself, the way to heaven is narrow. One time the disciples of Jesus said to him, Lord, are there few saved? And Jesus' answer to them was, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. So he's saying, Jesus was telling them, hey, you know, the gate that leads to destruction, the majority of people are on that. Right? He says, because he told them, he said, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. You see, many people want to believe that the way to heaven is wide. But the fact of the matter is, it is not. Not according to God's word. The way is narrow. And it requires one to die to themselves, to take up the cross, to follow after Jesus Christ. It requires repentance and obedience to the word of God. So, for many people... This is very difficult because their pride won't allow them to just let go and surrender their lives completely to the Lord. So few find it. So if you are hearing this gospel message in these scriptures here, don't harden your heart to it because this is the Lord giving you the opportunity to be saved. Right? to turn to the Lord and receive everlasting life because you place your faith in Him, your trust in Him. You surrender all to Him. Now, I want you to go ahead and, and mark this page in your Bible again, and, and I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans is back to the left from where we are now. It's still in the New Testament. Romans chapter 10. You'll find it between the book of Acts and the book of 1 Corinthians. Romans chapter 10. And let's start reading in verse 13. It says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we talked about this guy Epaphras right back in Colossians chapter 1. He was a faithful minister of Jesus Christ. And what he did was he brought this all-important message of the gospel to the Colossians. And as we've talked about this morning, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. So that's why the feet of those that bring the gospel are described in these scriptures we've just read here as beautiful. Because there's no greater message. But does everyone receive it? No. People reject it. But the question for all of us is, what about me? Do I receive it or do I reject it? Is this God's word? Right? And, and even after a person has received it and has come to faith in Jesus Christ, we need to continue to study the word of God in order that we might grow in our faith because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we turn back to Colossians chapter 1, again, Epaphras was the one that brought the gospel to the Colossians. And he was, he was so excited for the people that had come to faith there that he, he even told the Apostle Paul all about them. And in verse 8 of Colossians chapter 1, Paul says, "...who also declared to us your love in the Spirit." So Epaphras told Paul about this, right? For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. You see, this is God's desire for you and me today, that we would know the knowledge of his will and that we would have spiritual understanding. Verse 10 there says, that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So we must ask ourselves these questions. As those that claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, are we living to be fully pleasing to him? Is that how we live our lives? Are we fruitful in every good work? Are we increasing in the knowledge of God? These are questions we have to ask ourselves as we're studying verse 10 here. Now, if we just read this verse and then, you know, just move on with our day and forget about what we heard and we don't examine ourselves, we become a forgetful hearer and not a doer of the work. Well, that's what would be known as a hypocrite, right? But when we read a verse like this, we've got to ask ourselves, well, wait a minute, am I walking worthy of the Lord? 
Am I fully pleasing him? Am I being fruitful in every good work? Am I increasing in the knowledge of God, as verse 10 tells me here? You see, because it's it's far more than a, a Sunday thing. Yes, it's great that we gather around the Word of God. Of course it is. We need to do it all the more, Scripture tells us, as we see the day approaching. The day of Christ, that is, right? But again, like I said, it's far more than a Sunday thing. You see, your faith shouldn't be in my teaching. Your faith shouldn't be in the teaching of any man. Okay, Your faith is in Jesus Christ. And we are to be rooted and grounded in Him. I'm just simply one who points you back to His Word week after week. Right? But you see, we are called to walk in a worthy manner. And by surrendering to Christ, the worthy one, that's the only way for us to do so. The only way for us to walk in a worthy manner is if we completely surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. You see, in and of our own strength, you and me are not able to walk worthy. But by surrendering to Him daily, right, and surrendering to His will, Walking worthy will just be a byproduct to, to that surrender, right? And what we do, what, what does it mean to surrender? Well, it means we walk by faith and not by sight. It means we say, you know, I'm not going to live by bread alone. I'm not going to live by the things of this world. I want to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm going to live in accordance with His will. And the only place I can find that is in the Word of God. And verse 11 says, Strengthen with all might according to His glorious power. So that's the key right there. We are strengthened with all might, not according to our power, but according to His glorious power. Do you see that? The only fight that, that we fight is the fight of faith. In other words, we strive to, to let go and let God. We strive to keep walking by faith and not by sight. And really, I use the word strive, but really there's no striving involved. Again, it's just that absolute surrender, right? We need to let His Spirit have control of our lives. We need to increase in our faith, again, by walking in accordance with his word, by hearing his word and growing in it, right? So, again, you know, I know I say this all the time, but no one said it was easy. Again, verse 11, let's read it again. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long suffering with joy. So do you see that part there? <laughs> it takes patience. It takes long suffering to walk by faith and not by sight, it's not easy. It's much easier to walk in the way of the world, isn't it? And that's why um, a lot of professing Christians do. They just find it easier to go with the flow of the world, and they still profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. But there is fruit, though, that is to be produced when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, when we commit our lives to Him. First of all, there is 
the increase of the knowledge of God. Then there's the wisdom and spiritual understanding. There is good works for us to do in Christ Jesus. And we too can be faithful ministers, just like Epaphras was to the people of the city of Colossae. And you know, there's a reward for us as well that we can give thanks for. Verse 12 says, Given thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So we have this waiting for us, this inheritance, right? You know, when someone dies on the earth, what do they do? They, they leave a last will and testament. Well, you know what? There's a last will and testament for you and me, and we call it the New Testament today. And what it does is it declares God's will. And it lets us know that we, through faith in Jesus Christ, will inherit eternity in heaven with God sometime in the near future. We have a hope. We have a future because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And verse 13 tells us of Jesus that he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. So God the Father, rather than abandon us forever because of our sin, instead he delivered us from the power of the darkness of our sin. And through his love shown to us in Jesus Christ, he has brought us into his kingdom. You see, because in Jesus, verse 14 says that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So, you know the song, it says, oh, the blood of Jesus, right? It washes white as snow, right? Because, you see, Jesus took our place and he died in our stead that we might live eternally in heaven with him and the Father. Jesus was worthy and able to do this. Why? Well, verse 15 says, because he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Again, as I mentioned earlier, God became flesh right, and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. So Jesus was every bit of a man on the earth and every bit God. And because he was a man, he could pay the price for our sin. But he was God. And verse 16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Now, in order to take away the deity of Jesus Christ, as many religions do, this would be a passage of Scripture that would have to be totally thrown out altogether. To say that Jesus was not and is not God, you'd have to remove these passages here from your Bible. And verse 18 continues and says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. So, you see, what's being said here? Well, Jesus is Lord of heaven, and Jesus 
is the Lord of earth. He is the Lord of all. Right? Because of his existence on the earth and because of his, you know, eternal existence and his work in creation, right? That makes him Lord of heaven. And because of his work on the earth, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death. He is the head of the body. He is the head of the church, the head of you and me as believers. That makes him Lord of, earth, Lord of all the earth. And verse 19 says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. So you see, there's no division in the Godhead. Jesus and the Father are one. And all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. So this was pleasing to God. And verse 20 says, And by him, by Jesus that is, right? And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So everything has been reconciled in Jesus Christ, all because of his blood. It is well now, but all because of Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we must all come to him, and we must be born again, as Jesus said. And then verse 21 says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. So again, right? Sin separated us from God, separated us from God right? And Jesus reconciled us by the shedding of his blood on the cross. By his blood, we are presented as holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight, in the sight of God. But there is something that we have to do. And verse 23 tells us, if indeed you continue in the faith. Do you see that? Continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So there's one of the many ifs of the New Testament, right? It is possible to not continue in the faith. So what do we have to do? Well, we've got to stay the course. We must stay grounded and steadfast, not moving away from the hope of the gospel. You've heard the gospel. It was preached to you in some way, shape, or form. Paul was a minister of the gospel. Epaphras was a minister of the gospel. There are many others in the body of Christ today that are ministers of the gospel. But be careful that you stay the course. Keep the faith. Walk in the Spirit. Don't be moved away from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep your faith completely focused there. It's, it's not by your might that you have been redeemed. It's by the finished work of Jesus Christ. But now that you have been redeemed, there's something that you must do. You must continue to walk by faith, continue to, to not walk by sight, 
and keep your trust and faith in Jesus. Continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of him. We talked about it last week, but don't look to the things of this world. Right? They only produce anxiousness and, and worry. Right, To have peace, to be filled with love, to have hope, we must stay the course of faith in the gospel. Verse 23 tells us there, stay grounded, stay fed steadfast. In other words, stand very strong in the gospel. Okay? Stand very strong in the fact that Jesus is the only hope that we have for peace in this life, and he's our only hope of eternal life. Let's move on, verse 24. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So, again, This is another letter from the Apostle Paul that he wrote from prison. He was suffering for the sake of the gospel. So the gospel comes to you and me today at a very high price, right? First of all, like I said earlier, Jesus shed his blood to redeem you. Then many others have suffered to keep the gospel being spread. And it goes on, and it goes on and on today. The gospel continues to to go forth in the earth. And the mystery has been revealed. Verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, Paul says there, right? It says, to them, notice how Paul says, to them, to who? The saints, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the glorious riches of the gospel message is that Christ in us is the hope of glory. In other words, you will stand in heaven someday for one reason and one reason only, and that is because you have received Jesus Christ in you. You see, this message, right, Paul's talking about here, he said it went to the Jew first, right? The one who Paul refers to as saints, the first believers, the ones that God chose before the foundation of the world that he was going to bring the gospel, you know, through. And then it went from there, went out to the Gentiles, to the rest of the world, me and you. And there's still non-believers out there that need to hear the gospel message. And that message is that Jesus is the only way. He's the answer. In verse 28, Paul says, Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. So Paul strived to preach Jesus. Why? Because there's no other way. There is no other name given under heaven whereby we can be saved. There is no other salvation message. And you know, the warning must still go forth today that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, and every person on the face of this earth needs Jesus Christ. So, If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you've been born again, stay grounded. Stay steadfast in that, right? 
Keep walking by faith till the very end of your life, till Jesus comes again, because it is possible to get distracted and turn, turn away. And if you're out there and you're listening and, and you've never come to faith in Jesus Christ, well, today is the day of salvation. Why have you sat and listened to this entire message? It's because the Holy Spirit is reaching out to you and calling you to come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word, God. Thank you for the, this love letter that you have given us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld your glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we know, Lord Jesus, that you were faithful to the end. You were faithful unto death, even death on the cross, and that you died on that cross for the remission of our sins. I pray for all of those listening, Lord, that have not humbled themselves, that have not surrendered their life to you. I pray that today would be that day that they would do so. And I pray for those of us that do profess faith in you, that we would walk worthy of that, Lord, that we would stay rooted and grounded, that we would not be hypocritical in our behavior, but that we will be your servants, Lord, and that we would go forth with grace and love and peace to this world around us. Lord, we thank you for all of these things, and we thank you for this study in your word today. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.